Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I am Christian Sager. Today, we're going to talk about even more ways that humans have devised to kill one another. In fact, I think this is one of the most creative ways I've ever heard of. Yeah, and we're talking about weapons here. Uh, a crazy weaponized scheme that, as we'll discuss, ultimately doesn't really uh, hold any water. But uh, yeah. but it's uh, it just shows to what extent we'll, we'll think about what are our greatest technological achievements, and then how can we use those as a grandiose means to rain death on our enemies. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And I uh, will get into it, but I can sort of understand the justification for guys sitting around a room trying to come up with all these grisly ways to destroy one another. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, though, I want to remind our audience that we are periscoping every week now. So we did our first episode last week as of this recording, and we are going to be doing it every Friday at noon. You can find us at Blow the Mind on Periscope and Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr. All those platforms uh, will be letting people know when we're periscoping, giving you a little bit of a preview of what we're going to be doing that week. I think this week coming up, which will be in the past for our listeners, uh, we're going to be talking about our favorite horror films and perhaps uh, some of our favorite gateway drug uh, horror literature. Yeah, for for Halloween. And certainly as we, we go forward with it, you know, it's, it, we're having some fun with it. It's very loose, very freeform, very mm-hmm. casual. Uh, we're just shooting the breeze about... Uh, some stuff that we're into, both uh, on-topic yeah. uh, stuff to blow your mind material and sort of the sort of jibber-jabber on the side. Last time we shot from within the podcast studio, uh, we w- you know will hopefully be able to uh, talk to you about what we've recorded this week, what we're recording next week. Behind-the-scenes stuff, yeah. get-to-know-us stuff. Uh, yeah, so check it out if that's your thing. And in addition to that, we have heard, and uh, you know this may or may not be true, but we've heard... That if your iTunes reviews are, uh, if you have a large quantity of them, and obviously I would assume if they're positive, that it helps your rankings in iTunes for other people to discover your show. So if you listen to us on iTunes, if you have time, leave us a review and uh, help that algorithm out. And also, we just found out yesterday that we are now available on Google Play as well. So if you're using an Android device or, or, or something else, I believe you can download or stream right through Google Play now. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Uh, another great way to check out the, uh, the, you know, your favorite episodes. So let's get into, let's, let's get into the meat of this episode though, which is something that's referred to as Rods from God. And I know that sounds like a horrible title <laughs> for a pornography film, but it is actually a space weapon system that has been devised and has not actually been built to my knowledge. No. Uh, but, but the, the idea is basically as uh, simple as this. Um, space is already weaponized, okay? So we know, like, the Corona was launched in the early 1960s as the U.S.'s first spy satellite so they could gather information on the Soviets and their military arsenal. Uh, global positioning system, the GPS that we use in our cars and on our phones, that was originally designed to offer navigation and timing for the U.S. military. So, the idea here is that because space is becoming a uh, an area that is getting weaponized not only by the U.S. by but by other uh, large nations like you know uh, former Soviet Union. We'll talk about China in a second. 
these military teams are actually assigning the, uh, the, the, the goal of trying to find out other ways of developing technology for both range and accuracy from space in the same way that they, they did for land, sea, and air. So space is becoming a war zone and weaponized, right? And that's where Rods from God came from. Yeah, a.k.a. Project Thor, or this is the more technical title that I like, Hypervelocity Rod Bundles. Not to be confused with... Uh Pro wrestler Rod Hypervelocity Bundle, um, <laughs> who I couldn't help but create in my own head when I was reading this. Uh, but uh, yeah, Hypervelocity Rod Bundle. And it all comes down to just this single stupendous idea. Uh-huh. As, a, as a superpower, I have the ability to put things into orbit and then bring them back down again, which is just godlike in yep. terms of human technology. So godlike is this power that I don't even need to use a weapon, theoretically. I could just put some tungsten up there. I could put some steel up there and then just drop it on you. And its reentry velocity would be enough to take out an enemy uh, encampment, to, to dig down into a bump bunker and blast that out. Doesn't even need uh, any explosives or munitions, just a right. big beam of steel. We're literally talking about telephone pole-sized bars of tungsten, or the other one that was proposed is uranium, and I'll get into that in a minute, but that you just drop. Uh, like and, handing a, a bus to Godzilla yeah. and getting him to throw it at some Well, point. one of the alternatives you wrote was death pennies from heaven. I mean, the idea here <laughs> is essentially the same principle as that uh, old uh, urban myth of you, know, you throw a penny off the Empire State Building and it kills somebody, right? So it's the same kind of principle here, that, that uh, the idea being that they would take two satellites, they'd mm-hmm. launch them into orbit. These two would work together several hundred miles above Earth. One of them is for targeting and communications back to the ground. The other one carries a bundle of 20-foot-long tungsten rods that are one foot in diameter. So these are pretty big. Between the time that somebody on the ground says, uh, drop the rods, it takes 15 minutes for them to hit their target. Uh, they fall at a speed of 36 thousand feet per second and when they hit they have the same destructive force as a meteor strike so that's essentially what we're talking about here uh the math goes like this the energy is greater the higher the orbit that you drop them from right but so is the fall time so in order to get the energy the same energy of like a high explosive munitions you would need a material speed of three kilometers per second and to do that, you have to at least get up to an altitude of 40, uh, 460 kilometers. This corresponds roughly to about 12 minutes falling time. And then I think they probably added another three minutes for, you know, I'm assuming communications and mechanics of the, right. the technology and such. But that's how this idea works. You're literally dropping telephone pole, poles of metal on people, on your targets, and it just hits so hard that it will supposedly just create this incredible explosive impact uh, digging down into the earth, right? And right. The, like you said, the idea here is that if somebody like your, you know, Osama bin Laden st- style target is in a deep underground bunker, this is the way that you get them without radiating the entire land around them. Yeah, and again, it comes back to that. It's, it's very reminiscent of the myth of the penny off the top of the Empire State Building, which, mm-hmm. again, as you pointed out, wouldn't kill anybody. It's it's only yeah. a gram. 
it tumbles as it falls, so there's too much air resistance for it to do any damage. But even still, if you were to throw a 50-gram nut off the Empire State Building, a mm-hmm. roll of pennies, which is certainly more like a rod, yeah. um, a bullet, now you're talking that could actually kill somebody. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, the, the basic idea here is just an epic death pennies from heaven kind of uh, scenario. And the, the other, so I mentioned uranium. Uh, so the, tungsten and uranium were the two materials that were specifically listed. Mm-hmm. I originally wrote about this on our, uh, a sister site for How Stuff Works called Stuff of Genius. And one of the readers there actually suggested that titanium would be better. And I don't have any uh, inkling about material sciences. So you know, I'd love to hear from the listeners on what they think on this. But they were saying that basically tungsten is flammable, so of course it's going to burn up on reentry, which we'll talk about later. And uranium is radioactive, yeah. Uh, so it seems to defeat the purpose because the the the, the gist here is that you want to have the same explosive impact as a nuclear weapon without leaving behind uh, radiation, right? And essentially having that kind of high powered explosive weapon without actually having to use explosives. Yeah. Now we were talking about. Guys sitting around thinking up ridiculous high tech ways to to uh, dish out some death. Yeah, who thought this one up? So this is a guy named Jerry Pornell, and you out there may be familiar with him because he's primarily known as a science fiction author. I was going to say that's that's <laughs> his name rang a bell from past uh, sci fi section perusals. Yeah, uh, so Pornell, uh, he's an engineer, he's a science writer, he's primarily known for science fiction. Uh, he has degrees in experimental statistics, systems engineering, psychology, and political science. He worked for Boeing in the 1960s. And the idea was that he was going to help develop the aerospace industry. But this is where he came up the idea with dropping metal from outer space to kill people. Um, I, I don't know if that was, you know, on his action item list from a meeting or something, <laughs> but this is where it came up. So the idea uh, is a kinetic energy weapon. That's kind of the term that's used for these style weapons. It's been around uh, since... Something called the Rand Corporation proposed placing rods on the tips of ICBMs way back in the 1950s. And we'll get back into that later because that seems to actually be the more plausible method of kinetic energy deployment. Yeah, attaching to the front of an intercontinental ballistic missile. A little bit more about Jerry Purnell I want to get into, though, before we get into to the rest of the, yeah, the yeah. science behind Rods of God. So he's, like I said, he's best known as a sci-fi novelist. I haven't read any of his books, but I'm really curious about them. Uh, he maintains a pretty active blog uh, he attracted attention from politicians in the 80s. Ronald Reagan actually applauded a tract that he wrote that was called Mutually Assured Survival, a Space Age Solution to Nuclear Annihilation. And then he and Newt Gingrich actually teamed up and worked together on a novel that is so far unpublished. <laughs> I, I want to read this, though. It's called The Faction. And here's the premise. The Yakuza worked together with big corporations to overthrow the government. And the way that they do it is by using kinetic kill type weapons. They use rods from God. So he's repurposed ah, okay. his own idea. Uh, for for this novel that he's working on with Newt Gingrich. Uh, and unfortunately, he suffered a stroke in 2014. He's still writing. My understanding is that he's still active, but not as much as he used to be. By the way, I, and I have not read this, but apparently he wrote the novelization of the movie Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Really? In 1973, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. 
Which, uh, that's the, is that the one that has a, a nuke in it as a central theme? Is that the one with the underground, cool underground stuff? Um, I always get them mixed up. I no, believe that's, that that's later. That's is it Escape from Planet of the Apes, the one where they go back in time and they actually, two apes come to present day America and they end up, uh, trying to convince, like, Congress or something like that, that they shouldn't, uh, you know, proceed with war? Yeah, that was, I timed out before they got, really got to that point in my viewing. This one would be the third. I have just looked it up. Yep. Yeah, yep. The, the first one is Planet of the Apes, as we know and love it. Second one was Beneath the Planet of the Apes, as few of us know and love, but I love it, because mm-hmm. it has those uh, more Lockean uh, yeah. creatures that live underground and worship the bomb. <laughs> this would have been the third one he wrote the yeah. novelization. So, so keep in mind that the guy who came up with this idea, and that the U.S. government has actively worked on, and also the weapons industry has, has actively worked on, uh, also happened to work on the Planet of the Apes franchise. There you go. Uh, and so in particular, uh, in the last decade alone, there have been two big reports that are public and have been written about this. The first was in 2003, and it was uh, the U.S. Air Force's transformation flight plan. And then in 2002, that RAND Corporation again, uh, they they wrote a report called Space Weapons Earth Wars, which we're probably going to reference a lot in this because we read it for yeah. the podcast. Um, and I'll link to uh, the, some of these uh, resources on the landing page for this episode, at least the ones that are easily mm-hmm. accessed by everyone. So this is a concept that people are taking seriously. They're they're doing the math. They're doing the science. They're trying to figure out, can we drop these telephone poles on our enemies and destroy them without irradiating them? And there's one other benefit to this, too. The other benefit is that weapons like this wouldn't technically violate the 1972 anti-ballistic missile treaty. Ah. So if you put them up and you were dropping them in the way that we've, we've described, I think you could, you know, work your way around that. Now, I want to point out that just just as this relates nicely to dropping pennies off the Empire State Building, there have been a number of missile weapons that achieve the same ends, though on a smaller scale. You know, make a payload go up, bring it back down. Uh, as for achieving enough altitude that the descent speed weaponizes the payload, well, we have a couple of interesting examples from the 20th century. Um, in uh, World War I, uh, that you saw air-dropped uh, fletchets, which were essentially uh, just look like metal arrowheads that are mm-hmm. dropped out. S- same idea. So you drop them from an airplane, they're going to achieve enough velocity to do some damage when they hit. Those are the things that the X-Men Archangel shoots out of his wings. Ah, yeah. Metal flechettes. Flechettes. Yeah, I feel like the flechettes sh- uh, show up as um, as a munition and, and yeah. sci-fi properties yeah. as well. Like I think uh, Gibson deployed I them. Think in the, like the idea of using them as kinetic, uh, like rail guns or something like that, is, yeah. is popular. Because again, if, if the idea is if it's moving fast enough, there's enough kinetic energy. You right. don't need explosive energy. Additionally, uh, there's something called lazy dog bombs, and these were developed uh, in World War II and uh, deployed in, Viet- in Vietnam and Korean Wars, sometimes called buzz bombs, sometimes called lawn darts, because essentially that's what you're talking about, a bunch of small, unguided kinetic projectiles. They're not technically bombs. Often they're dropped in clusters, sometimes from mounted casings underneath the wing of an airplane, other other hmm. times supposedly just hurled out in a bucket. You know, uh, very, very loose, very, hey, we're up here. Just by virtue of being in the air at a certain altitude, yeah. we have the kinetic advantage by throwing these things out. So... The idea itself, pretty simple, but when you take it up, when you take it up to an orbital level, that's where you get some real, or, uh, essentially cosmic uh, destructive possibilities. 
Yeah, and so this kind of reminds me, I know this is like an actual explosive munition, at least as my understanding, but around the time of the beginning of the war in Iraq, uh, there was a lot of uh, attention being paid to the daisy cutter. Do you remember that? It was a specific kind of like bunker buster type weapon. Uh, And I, I think the attraction was that like, it was so incredibly powerful that it could defeat our enemies, and yet it wasn't as horrific mm-hmm. as, like, a, the nuclear bomb, right? Yeah. Uh, this is the shock and awe thing. Exactly, yeah, shock and awe. So I think this is the same sort of principle, although it's kinetic and not explosive. Um, and I do want to take a second here to, to, as an aside, these are different from what you may have heard about in the news lately, uh, being referred to as anti-ship ballistic missiles or ASBMs. Um, these have been, they, they were something that the U.S. actually tested in the 1960s and had two successful flights with. The Soviet Union developed them in the past, but more recently, in January of 2014, China conducted a test of a hypersonic glide vehicle that was designed to carry missiles designed to sink aircraft carriers. Uh, this thing flies at Mach 10. It isn't the first time that they've developed an ASBM, but it's thought to be like the stage, the second stage of their program, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea is that it's very very similar to this, it launches an ICBM up into outer space and then sends that back down at Mach 10. So it's, there's no satellite up there. It just launches it up and brings it back down. And the idea is that you, one of these things would hit uh, an aircraft carrier and just completely take it out. Uh, and that uh, they move, I think the idea here is like that they move so quickly uh, faster than actual like traditional munitions that they're uh, difficult for anti-air defenses to take down. So there's some concern about that. Okay. But this is not the same not thing. Not the same thing at no. all. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get into the feasibility of rods from gods. And th- this is where it gets uh, a little more fun and ultimately where everything falls apart. All right, we're back. Yeah, so let's talk about how feasible rods from God actually are. It's nice, a bunch of guys sitting around in a room, smoking cigars, mm-hmm. talking about sci-fi ideas on how they could kill each other. The, let's get down to the, the nuts and bolts of this thing. So first of all, uh, there's some scientific reasons why it wouldn't work. Uh, one is vaporization. Yeah, so, the thing that that we see with uh, with meteorites right? mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, entering absolutely. the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, so even a giant tungsten rod would probably vaporize on impact. Um, there's been some ideas that like you could attach retro rockets to each one of the rods that would slow their reentry slightly. Mm-hmm. But some, the calculations basically say that if you did that, the non-explosive rod would then be no more effective than the com- conventional munitions that we already have. At our yeah, disposal. and you're kind of betraying the spirit of the thing, right? Because yeah. the whole idea is I have all this technology and I can use it to just straight up drop a big chunk of metal on you. Mm-hmm. If we're putting rockets on that, then... We're kind of getting back into the area of just creating a space missile. Yeah, and it's going to be more expensive, yeah. too, which is another drawback. Uh, the, the physics just wouldn't work. It, it, a high-velocity impact would limit the actual penetration depth. So remember, like, you know, part of the idea behind this is to bust bunkers, right, to get those underground, uh, you know, headquarters, I guess, uh, that are usually unreachable. If you look at high-speed photography of a bullet impacting steel at one kilometer a second, and remember, uh, to achieve the, the rod from God, uh, 
impact, you have to hit three kilometers per second. But just at one kilometer a second, apparently the jacket fragments right off of the bullet and leaves a, a small crater on on the uh, the steel that it strikes. So the idea here is that like there would be probably a similar effect on a larger scale that the the rods would uh, shatter, vaporize, they might leave a little bit of a crater, but for the most part it wouldn't have the explosive impact that they're looking for. In fact, the Sandia Laboratory, which I didn't know about until doing this research, it's a national security nuclear weapons testing facility. They've actually confirmed predictions about this, uh, looking that, e- that even the hardest materials will max out their penetration capabilities at mm-hmm. one kilometer per second. So you go any faster than that, the tip of the rod will probably liquefy. Uh, it will cause the penetration depth to fall off. And then you get this situation where even if they're delivered from low altitudes, they would only deliver one-ninth of the destructive energy per gram force as a conventional bomb. Yeah, so, so again, what's, what's the, the point? point of that? Yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we're totally losing the spirit of our beautiful uh, death-dealing device Exactly, here. yeah. And also uh, keep in mind, too, that... Even if the entire rod doesn't vaporize, the tip would probably deform or something like that, which would change their flight path considerably, and you end up striking a nearby town or something rather than the bunker that you're trying to strike. Yeah, because each rod would need to follow a precise, nearly vertical flight path in order Mm -hmm. to reach its target. Again, assuming you don't have any kind of thrusters on there that are turning into a missile, uh, more of a guided missile anyway. So, I mean, it's difficult enough to to figure this out without factoring in a rod that's partially disintegrated or warped due to all this re-entry friction. Yeah, and so this is the thing, like, for me, like, again, not knowing a lot about materials science, I'm wondering why tungsten is the metal that they chose for the proposal, given that it's flammable mm-hmm. and it's you know going to be just on re-entry alone probably going to uh, catch on fire. So I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. There must be a reason, though. I, w- I would think, or maybe maybe it's literally just like a sci-fi novel pitch and just ran with it. Uh, so actually, to get to the, the you know the the actual proposal in that Rand Corporation Space Weapons Earth Wars. The authors suggest that one way that they could address this is by, quote, extruding material through pores in the nose tip of the rod for evaporation. Another option they pitch is ablative cooling, where the outer layer would be designed to melt away on purpose. But again, then you get that thing where the nose potentially deforms and then, the you know, it's just completely unpredictable where this thing's going to hit. Yeah, you again, we just see it time and time again here with just the, the basic physical design. It sounds like it'll be a simple yeah. procedure, a simple design, but you then you have to tweak it. It's like, all right, we got to put thrusters on it. It needs the, the tip needs to ooze, and it needs to be reflective. And right. and what what next? It needs a crew. All and, this stuff essentially makes it untenable. Yeah. Not to mention that there's something called the absentee ratio for the satellites that are circling around in orbit, carrying all these rods. So. Because satellites circle the planet every 100 minutes, they won't always be in position to hit their target. So, yeah, remember that whole thing like, oh, yeah, you just call it from the ground 15 minutes later, boom, right? But no. Unless it's on the other side of the the Exactly. You've got to wait for it to actually be in position to hit the target. And satellites, as we have them right now, can't really change their speeds that easily or maneuver around in orbit because there's no atmosphere. So they might not even work because of this. Uh, And then, you know... there's also the whole idea of like, if you're up in orbit, again, like, you have to break the atmosphere for reentry. So you need some kind of thrust, too. Yeah, that's one thing that's important to keep in mind is that 
yes, you have to use all of this energy and effort to get something into orbit, but then you also have to use energy and effort to get it out of orbit, yeah. um, at least to get it out of orbit uh, along the timeline that you're looking uh, at to weaponize the thing. Yeah, and the satellites as well. Here's another just like whole reason why this isn't feasible. The satellites would probably be vulnerable to ground-based attacks, right? So mm-hmm. uh, let's say... Uh, China puts one of these up in the, uh, in the, in orbit and it's floating around up there. We're going to be able to detect that and we'll probably be able to shoot it down. Yeah. Yeah. We've been able to bust satellites for a while. So that's, yeah, that's not even an issue. Yeah. So then to improve efficiency there, they'd have to launch even more satellites, which costs even more money. And these things are not cheap. They're yeah. crazy expensive. So, okay. How expensive is it? So we know from NASA that it costs $10,000 per pound to put something into orbit, no matter what the object is, right? So somebody actually broke down the math, and I, uh, I, I brought it here for us today. If one of these rods weighed 0.1 tons, and there were three tons of propellant on it to stop its orbital motion, basically to give it the thrust to get through. Yeah, because otherwise it's just going to continue to orbit. Yeah. Uh, that means that launching one rod would cost $30 million. Wow. And you need at least 10 rods per satellite. So this is just insanely expensive. Uh, and like we said, there's just you know a lot of feasibility issues science-wise, strategic-wise, and then it's just incredibly expensive. Yeah, it costs a ton of money, and you're, you're ultimately going to have to do so many things to it. You're going to have to turn that rod into... A, um, into a guided missile anyway to make mm-hmm. it work. Mm-hmm. So why not just use a guided missile? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the proposed solutions, right? To just use an ICBM instead. Yeah, and ultimately it goes all the way back to that 1950s Rand proposal. So the idea there was that they would attach the rods to uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles. These are the ICBMs that you know only a few nations actually have access to that mm-hmm. can launch missiles around the world. Uh, the downside is that these could be detected a lot easier. So I was saying earlier about how, like, the kinetic drop uh, makes it so that they're so fast that they can. It's a lot harder for them to be detected by anti-air defenses. Um, but so here's some more math for you: to get the one kilometer per second speed that would be needed, an acceleration of thirty times that of gravity. So this is something that a nominal solid rocket motor could probably provide. It would take 3.3 seconds over a distance of 1.65 kilometers. So that actually doesn't sound like all that much, right? Right. Especially compared to what we've just been talking about with dropping these telephone poles. Uh, but this would only cost us $100,000 or less, plus the cost of a terminal guidance system. I don't know how much those run for nowadays, whether it's like an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, a, it's an Xbox One. Yeah. Uh, so it's cheaper. Uh, sounds like it would probably work better. I think the, the 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 disadvantage is the speed factor, and and then also that it's not coming downward exactly. It's coming at an angle, right? So that um, possibly would lead to less penetration. I'm not quite sure. Um, but the other proposal from that space weapons Earth Wars proposal, I, I would love to just be, be a fly on the wall for the the writing process of that, like the people sitting around just putting that together for the Rand Corporation. Yeah, there are no bad ideas in brainstorming um, <laughs> space weapons. Yeah. So their idea is to try conventional ordnance that's d- delivered from space. So, yeah, so basically just space bombing. Yeah, yeah. S- 
space rockets. Yeah. Um, so the idea here is that they would have the direct destructive force, but it would be outward instead of downward, like I was talking about earlier. They'd be slower, but they wouldn't erode, uh, and they would require explosives and fusings. And here's the problem with that, that they'd have to survive the impact, right? Mm-hmm. But then they'd also have to be able to determine their depth penetration before they exploded. Getting back to that bunker busting. Exactly, scenario, yeah. yeah. The idea is that these got to drill underground. So, uh, and again, they're more susceptible to terminal defenses than kinetic weapons would be. So when you put it all together, rods from the gods, uh, Operation Thor, whatever you want to want to call it, kinetic strike force rods, mm. kinetic strike force uh, rod bundles, uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. But it's such a captivating idea. And again, I think it comes down to just the idea that techno- our technological advancement could be such, right. our power could be such. That it would be akin to having a slingshot, like right. The, the mm-hmm. slingshot is the technology. The thing that goes in the slingshot needs to be nothing more than a pebble. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the the attraction here is like we're just harnessing the physics of the universe, yeah. essentially, right? Without could, yeah. having to build the specific devices designed to kill. I mean, it is, but. But you know what I mean? Like, you could put other things up there, too, and drop them, and they would kill people as well. It's just they wouldn't be able to do it with precision and range. Yeah, I mean, statues of Walt Disney, um, you name it, uh, giant Oscars. I guess I'm thinking of statues for some reason. Just lots of statues. A statue of Lenin, a statue of Darth Vader. There's something kind of nicely space opera about that. I can yeah. imagine Ming the Merciless uh, using rods from God, mm-hmm. and each rod is just a statue of me. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up, actually, because this uh, idea, uh, having come from a sci-fi writer, has actually worked its way into a lot of our popular fiction. Um, two I can think of. I first heard about this reading the Warren Ellis comic Global Frequency, which yeah. was adapted into a television show. So he had clearly read about it somewhere and, and uh, decided to incorporate it as like, a, a, I think a, a terrorist group had access to one of these. Mm-hmm. The other one, I believe the second G.I. Joe live action movie, oh, the premise they? was that they oh. were going to use kinetic weapons to I destroy I saw something. that on the airplane going to or from China, so I was pretty distracted at the time. Yeah. But yeah, there was some sort of rods I, from God's I thing. I think so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm sure there's others. Uh, Joe brought up something, He, I was talking to him about this before we went to the studio, and he said that he thinks that in the Mass Effect games and universe that mm-hmm. there's like a, a similar kinetic velocity kind of idea behind um, a lot of the weapons, not just like uh, ship-to-ship weapons, but also uh, the the like guns that characters oh, okay. carry, like mass like driving that. weapons. I yeah. think so. Yeah, okay. yeah. So you know, the idea is really cool. It's fun for stories, but it doesn't really. It doesn't seem like it's going to work uh, until we spend a couple more than a couple million dollars to put these things in outer space and then drop them and see what happens. All right, so there you have it, Rods from God. Uh, you know, we get a little time here. Uh, let's call over the robot and uh, uh, see if yeah. we have a little listener mail. Whoa, and the robot is sounding a little more satanic than usual, uh, I have to say. It's, is it Carney or Arnie this time? I can never remember when he's possessed by the devil. Uh, I don't know. It's Carney, but with sixes in there somehow. Uh, I don't know. Ooh. He spells it really weird. 
Uh, but yes, it looks like we have, uh, we've received a, a couple of new listener mails regarding our Satanic Panic episode, which was oh, the, okay. the first episode that we did together. Yeah, yeah. This one comes to us from Katie. Katie writes in and says, so first off, I adore your podcast, discovered it a few months back, and it's been my, been a wave to keep my mind from, um, atrophying at my mind numbingly boring job as an overnight grocery stocker. I listen to the new episodes as they come out and have been slowly working my way back through the rest of them. My coworker hates me because I often always stop midway through the work, take my earphones out, and insist on educating him on topics he has absolutely no interest in. Luckily, family members and roommates uh, are much more accepting of my need to tell people of my newfound knowledge. So Katie goes on to mention that she just listened to the Satanic Panic episode, mm-hmm. and uh, and she shares uh, some, some personal family stuff here, uh, which I'm not going to get into the details here, uh, just because... I'm, I'm not certain she would want to share it with everyone, yeah. and some of the details are probably a, a little bit too much uh, for the uh, the average listener. Uh, but uh, she can, she continues in the email and says, "So obviously, when I first heard word that this whole satanic panic thing was most likely mass hysteria, I was personally offended by it. I didn't want to think that someone I cared about could have had uh, it could have such a big part of her life based on something entirely fake. Mm. I honestly skimmed the article that first brought it to my attention, got angry, and closed it, and never went back. When I started your satanic panic." episode, I had a moment of thinking I should just skip it once I realized it was what it was going to be about. But at this point, you guys had kind of totally won me over, so I decided to give it a shot. And there was one line in there, just a throwaway line, where you guys acknowledged that while there most likely wasn't some huge satanic craze in the 70s, that there were still some people who were suffering horrific abuse. Hearing that kind of wiped out my whole personal offense at the topic, and I was able to enjoy an incredibly interesting podcast. I honestly really like stories about mass hysteria, and this was definitely an incredibly fascinating one, uh, more so when I could put aside my personal feelings and consider it in relation uh, to my story. So thank you, Katie, for writing in. Uh, it's Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate uh, listener mail uh, in general, but mm-hmm. this in particular, you know, thank you, Katie, for sharing your personal story with us, and, but also for letting us know that, you know, this is something that you weren't inclined to want to listen to, but that because, you know, you, you trusted us as hosts, I'm assuming you went ahead, followed us on the journey, and we're happy that, you know, you learned what you did afterwards. Yeah, and I guess I have two thoughts on all of First of all, that's one of the things that's so fascinating and disturbing about the satanic panic scenario is yeah. that there is this pure fantasy and pure fiction and hit and mass hysteria, but the pain that, uh, that, that spiraled out from it is and was real. Yeah, absolutely. I think I said that during the episode that like, I may not believe their stories, but I believe that they believe in them. Yeah. And that's real enough to them that it, you know, requires us to be sympathetic as, you know, emotional human beings right. to, to the, the things that happen to them. Uh, and, and also, I think it's important, you know, we try to do this with every episode and with whatever we're talking about, whether it's satanic panic or dropping giant metal telephone poles from outer space. Uh, there's more than one side to every story, right? right. And so, uh, obviously, like, you have to keep that in mind. You want to also be open to the possibilities of whatever, you know, somebody else's perspective, whether it's subjective or not. And in the satanic panic situation, there were hundreds of incidents. So we're never going to know all the stories, you know. We're never right. going to know the, it, it, how things all matched up with one another. But, you know, by and large, I think we, we covered the the hysteria part, the mass media part of it fairly well. Yeah, and I also like how Katie talked about how when she first 
heard about uh, the mass hysteria aspects of uh, satanic panic that she was offended that she was turned yeah. off and then she but she ended up coming back to it and i always think about that a lot when i when we're engaging with listeners uh, particularly on social media because there's always going to be somebody who who has a uh, a reaction to some sort right. of article or study or material and uh, they're kind of defensive about it maybe they you know they're they're a little up in arms and i often think back to times in my own life where i've come across some new way of looking at the world. And a lot of times there is this gut reaction. There's something that challenges your personal history, challenges your ideology, and there's a the reflex is to put the guards up. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. It, it takes some time sometimes to come back around and open yourself up to this idea and put it put yourself in a in really in a state of of open-minded vulnerability to uh to to consider it. I think that that gets down to the 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 ethos of this show overall for Joe Robert and I is that like the overall quality that I'm shooting for with every episode is that we're trying to connect to that wonder of looking at the world and going, "Oh wow, I didn't know that," you know, uh and and then thinking about the thing that you go, "Oh wow," at and kind of criticizing it. Like, yeah, "Oh wow, it'd be really cool if you could drop metal from outer space and destroy your enemies," <laughs> right? Like that's like a like a thing that a like 5-year-old does in the sandbox like playing with their toys, right? right. But at the same time, like you kind of step back and you look at the science of it and you go, huh, well, that's a wonderful idea. Probably not feasible. Probably doesn't work. But l- look at our human imagination wor- working at this. Or look at the wonder of science that we could even begin thinking about it. All right. Well, what, is, uh, what does the robot have there? Looks like uh, looks like he has another one. Uh, another one's coming out here. Hold on. Uh, this is from... Uh, Hannah, and she writes in to let us know that she's a longtime listener and that she had some thoughts that she would also like to share on the Satanic Panic episode. Uh, it turns out that she, I'm going to read this uh, verbatim. The first is in response to your Satanic Panic episode. Robert and Christian mentioned how some teenagers may have explored Satanism to shock the authority figures in their life and find a sense of individualism. And it reminded me of a song by folk rock band The Mountain Goats. Uh, I'm vaguely familiar with The Mountain Goats. I don't listen to them a lot, but yeah. Yeah, I have some friends who are real big fans. Uh, so they have a song apparently that's called The Best ever death metal band in Denton. I like the title. <laughs> and we're going to have to listen to it. Tells the story of childhood friends Jeff and Cyrus and how their dream of becoming a famous death metal band was dashed by the adults in their lives. But all hope is not lost, says Hannah. The song ends by saying, quote, the best ever death metal band out of Denton will in time both outpace and outlive you, followed by a couple of rousing Hail Satans. In this, the Hail Satans are not so much an actual hailing of Satans, but more of a Beep. To the people that told them to. Okay. Uh, I, I kind of like that idea. Um, I, I guess I'll add on to this, Hannah, that uh, I'm a big fan of the band Ghost, uh, which is a, a, they're associated with metal, but I think they're more of kind of like a, a hard rock band. But the whole premise behind the band is that they're supposedly uh, Satanists. Uh, and all the, the, the leader of the band is a guy called Papa Emeritus who dresses <laughs> up like an anti-pope with like an upside down cross and oh, skull yeah, yes, paint. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, I've seen pl- plenty of pictures. Yeah. Of yeah. I mean, it, so it's all theatrical. It's mm-hmm. all ridiculous. The lyrics to the songs are supposedly about summoning Satan and, and, you know, worshiping him and all these things. Honestly, it's, it's, it's a big circus performance. That's what I love out of it. I love the, the theatricality and it, it, that appeals to me. Um, so I can see why this song would kind of do the same thing. It sounds to me like this Mountain Goat song might be about a proto version of Ghost. Nice. 
All right. Well, there you have it. Hey, uh, you want to reach out to us? You want to see what we're up to? You want to explore some of these past episodes? See what's coming up? Uh, head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's the mothership. That's where you'll find all the podcast episodes, all the videos, uh, various blog posts, links out to these social media accounts like Facebook and Twitter. We're Blow the Mind on both of those and Tumblr where we're Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Yeah, and don't forget, we're going to be on Periscope every Friday at noon uh, and you can interact with us directly on there. Last time, people were able to ask us questions right through the the, the app, and we were able to talk right back to them, talk about things like melt movies. Some people gave us suggestions for new episodes, like uh, mm-hmm. one on strange weather, which sounded like it would be kind of fun to me. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, you can listen to us talk about our favorite horror movies uh, and maybe even some horror literature as well, things that we... You know, we probably talk about casually on the show, but aren't usually the themes of the show. Yeah. Hey, and, hey, maybe one of these days we'll spend uh, the Periscope session uh, for Joe to finally cook those, uh, use that recipe for cookies that he found in the Dune. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Dune cookies. Yeah. Mm. Especially if we can get that spice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, one last thing, though. If you want to write into us directly, like the uh, listener mail that we just read out loud, you can always send us an email at below the at HowStuffWorks.com For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com 